going to do a very uh, common topic that we've been talking about, and we are going to talk about prayer. I read about the book by Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey is an author that wrote many books. Jesus, I never knew what's so amazing about grace, the gift nobody wants. Uh, one of the books that he wrote was prayer. And uh, at the cover of his book, when he opened up, the very first thing that he said on the left part is this quote. They say, why is it that prayer ranks so high on surveys of importance and so low on surveys of satisfaction? Why is it that we pay so high premium about prayer, talks how important prayer is, and yet we pray so little? Why? And he begin the question, so why is it it ranks so high on surveys of importance and yet so low on surveys of satisfaction? I suppose prayer can pose many questions if you are any thinking adult or thinking Christians that you can have all sorts of questions in your mind that if God is sovereign, if God knows all, then my prayer doesn't make any difference. He will achieve whatever He wants anyway, whether I pray or not. And maybe in your own life as well, you pray for many things, you didn't get answered, and things that you don't pray about, you get answered. So you, you, you become, you know, what's the difference? Is there any difference at all whether I pray or not? So I want to begin by uh, giving you a couple of quotes by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Russian novelist who is a Nobel Prize winner in, a, in literature. I was plowing through some of his literature and I came across some quotes that I thought it was uh, fascinating just as a way to kickstart where I'm going to direct this sermon. Solzhenitsyn said, The meaning of earthly existence lies not as we have grown used to thinking in prospering, but actually in, is in the development of the soul. And then another quote, he says this, We have placed too much hope in politics and social reforms, only to find out that we were being deprived of our most precious possession." which is our spiritual life. And then another quote, I know it's a bit small, let me just read to you this. He says, Since I have spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of the Russian Revolution, and in the process, I've collected hundreds of personal testimonies, I've read hundreds of books, contributed eight volumes of my own, but if I were asked today to formulate as precisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million Russians, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat the phrase, the man have forgotten God. What is more, if I were called upon to identify the principal trait of the entire 20th century, I would be unable to reflect anything more precise than this statement, that man have forgotten God. I think we have placed too much emphasis on the physical component of life at the expense of mental, emotional, and spiritual component. We have placed too much emphasis 
of physical side of it at the expense of emotional health, at the expense of mental health, at the expense of spiritual health. And so I think we have a solution. Christian has a very simple solution to our emotional struggle, mental problems, and all that has plagued the entire society. Many people are depressed. Many people are feeling hopelessness, meaninglessness in their lives. The pantry is full, but its hearts are empty. There's so much to live on, but so little to live for. We place too much emphasis. And we have a simple answer to that as Christians. And I believe it is in the area of prayer. Because prayer is the thing that can help you in many, many, any parts of your life. Uh, and not to mention that Bible has very clearly, with all this complexity, controversial kind of thinking in our mind about God, about prayer, whether it makes any difference or not, uh, the clear, simple answer to that command in the scriptures that we are asked to pray. And right throughout scripture, it's woven throughout scripture that God uses our prayer. God used people. He's sovereign, yes, but He somehow chose to use us to achieve some of the things here on earth through prayer. God and humans, for better or, or worse, doing it together. God needing faithful men and women. God needing a race through whom to work through, as it's in the Old Testament. God needing prophets, God needing judges, God needing a human Messiah, God needing human hands to heal, human voices to speak, and human feet to go. Doesn't He need us to ask for His kingdom to come, His will be done in the Lord's Prayer? Surely He wouldn't want us to waste our time asking for something that was going to happen anyway. Didn't He tell us to ask for our daily bread? And yet the scripture tells us He knows our needs even before we ask. Didn't He tell us to ask that laborers be sent into the harvest in Matthew chapter 9? But doesn't the Lord of the harvest want that more than we do? And what did He ask us to ask Him to send our labor laborers to the field? And Paul, even in 2 Thessalonians, say, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified. But wasn't God already planning to do this anyway? So why is He asking us to pray? I suppose to ask for something He already wants to do, if it's not that my asking somehow releases Him to do it. So all this thing is, yes, we have no complete answer, yet the Scripture tells us to pray. God somehow mysteriously knows all things, sovereign, there's no contingent upon us to achieve His ultimate will, and yet He still chooses chooses to use us through our prayers. And so this morning, I want to give you four reasons with the time that I have. I want to give for you four reasons. Yes, God answers prayer, definitely. And we all know that, that God answers prayer through yes, no, and wait. We can tease out more of that if we choose to. So not all prayers that we pray, that God will say yes. Just like every parent, no parents will give everything your children ask for. If you do that, then you're not a good parent. Because our asking sometimes is so limited in a sense. So God sovereignly somehow work through our prayers and yet sometimes He say no to our prayers. In the process of it, He used it to mold us and shape us to be the person that He wants us to be. So I want to give you four reasons. I want to encourage you. I want to stir your hearts towards this thing called prayer that is so amazing that can solve so many problems in your own lives. 
mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So let me just give you four reasons uh, why we should pray. I want to motivate you and encourage you down this pathway. The first thing about prayer is that prayer helps to build our relationship with Jesus. Prayer helps to build our relationship with Jesus. We always say that Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with God. It's not about law abiding, follow the Ten Commandments and all that alone. But there is a better way in fulfilling the law and that is through relationship. Through relationship, you do not not obey the law. You actually obey and keep all the laws as expected and demanded, but in a joyful, in a relational way and not in a legalistic way of, of keeping it. So prayer actually helps to build our relationship with Jesus through communication, through talking. It builds strength. It helps us to know Him better. It helps us to know His promises. It strengthens our inner life. In terms, will build up your mental strength and your emotional health as well. Let me give you this verse from uh, Ephesians chapter 3 that Paul says this so beautifully. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, not law, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You know, Paul just wants to cover every avenue, the stretch, pushing everything to the extreme, that you may be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul is praying that you and I will experience that kind of love with Christ. The intimate, deep, close, unfettered. It is so deep that Paul says it surpasses knowledge. And one place we can experience this is in prayer. That when you commune with the Lord, when you pray, when you talk to God, you can't bring about all these things in your life. When we pray, we can pray to experience this love, to be bathed in it, to learn how to give it back, to learn how to let it seep into the dry cracks of our lives. And the gift of prayer is that we learn to receive experience and return His love in genuine relationship. And prayer helps us to strengthen our relationship with God. So St. Nixon, in another quote, he says this. He said, Do not pursue what is illusory, property and position. All that is gained at the expense of your nerves decade after decade, decade and can be confiscated in one fell night. He said, live with a steady superiority over life. Don't be afraid of misfortune and do not yearn after happiness. It is after all all the same. The bitter doesn't last forever and the sweet never fills the cup to overflowing. But it's through relationship with God, the external thing becomes not as important. And your mental, emotional health will be strong despite of whatever circumstances that you may be going through. So the first thing I want to encourage you to pray is that it strengthens, builds your relationship with God. And then you realize that it is overflowing with joy 
it will affect your perspective, it will affect your outlook, it will affect every area of your life when your life is rooted in prayer and build a relationship with God. Secondly, prayer helps to overcome temptation. Prayer helps to overcome temptation in life. Look at Luke chapter 22. This is a famous prayer that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He brought His disciples there to pray on the final night before He, he goes to the cross. And this is what He said, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and His disciples followed Him. On reaching the place, He said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. You must pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Of course, the temptation in this context, I'll explain to you. He withdrew about a stone throw beyond them and he knelt down and prayed. When he said that to the disciples, pray that you will not fall into temptation, uh, he knows that their antidote, their solution to yielding to temptation, their fear, Temptation, discouragement, horror was soon present, was prayer. It's soon going to come upon them when the Master depart. When Jesus went and left and died on the cross, they will be fallen into disarray. They will be panicking. They will fall into temptation of giving up. Just like Thomas was so disillusioned completely when Jesus left them. And they all went back to fishing, so they would be tempted to give up their faith, tempted to just yield to their flesh. But somehow, prayer will fortify their trembling faith and courage because Jesus Himself faced His own darkness. And as He asked them, pray that you will not fall into temptation, He knows Himself that He will fall into the temptation to quit because in His prayer, He said, Father, if it is possible, Remove this cup of suffering from me that I don't have to go to the cross. If you have plan B, let's go to plan B. But God said, no plan B, plan A. That's the only way to save humanity through the cross. But Jesus struggled tremendously until the sweat turned into blood. A couple of years ago, I did a research on that about sweat turning to blood. In fact, it's quite possible. Medically, actually, it's quite possible when that is so intense. His prayer was so heartfelt. His, his struggles were so intense because it was so easy to succumb to fear, to give up. And prayer had been the means of his victory and so he returned again to his disciples to find them sleeping because their eyes were just too heavy. He confronts their tightness and prays again. He said, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation because you're going to give up. You're going to give up. You're going to give up many things in front. You have to pray to sustain that. You're patient. Because Jesus survived through the temptation of giving up through prayer. And so I want to encourage you, pray will help you overcome temptation. When you are fearful, pray. When you are depressed, pray. When you are discouraged, you pray. When you are disillusioned, you pray. When you feel like giving up, pray. 
when you feel hopeless, meaningless, pray. Don't give up. Because if you don't pray, you will yield to your flesh. And our flesh are very attractive. We always fall into our flesh. Because it's always stronger. That's why Jesus says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And sometimes I feel that fasting is transferring the decision maker from the flesh to the spirit. You're transferring your decision making. Because our flesh is the one that often makes decisions over our spirit. So many of our decisions is based on, on our emotions. So little of our decision making is based on our will, whether it is right or wrong. And that is why Sosenixon, when he was uh, uh, delivering a speech in America, in the West, he says this in his speech. He says, it is time in the West to defend not so much human rights. But it's about time we start defending human obligations rather than human rights. Because true freedom is always doing what we ought and not what we want. If we do what we want, finish. It's always doing what we ought to do. And that brings about true freedom in our lives. So third thing I want to give to you and encourage you to pray is is prayer helps to determine God's will. Prayer helps to determine God's will. Prayer is a time that you seek the Lord for direction. You seek the Lord, where should I go? What should I do? It is through prayer that you get your direction. Look at Mark chapter 1. Jesus said this very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions obviously slept in and they woke up, they couldn't find Jesus. So they went and looked for him. And when they found him, you know what they did? They actually rebuilt Jesus. See, everyone is looking for you. What are you doing here? Everyone is looking for you. And what did Jesus reply? Jesus said, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Because he has been spending time healing many, many people. And many people came to him for healing once, once they kind of spectacular things, once their physical side to be cured and healed. But nobody actually wants him. And that is why in John chapter 6, after he fed the 5,000 people, he went across to the other side of the river and these 5,000 people followed him all the way and Jesus preached the most, un most shocking sermon that turns away 5,000 people. So as a pastor, we often say to ourselves, we are not so bad, even though how bad our sermon may be, uh, we won't turn away 5,000 people. Uh, plus the women and the kids, probably about 15,000 people. Uh, so that's a very comforting thing for pastors uh, when they preach the sermon. Uh, but Jesus knows. Jesus said, well, I'm not going to do this. I will do this as my companion. Yes, but that's not the primary things that I'll come to do, all right? I've come here for something. That is why I've come. Let us go. It's time to move on. He seeks the Lord's will. He knows that it's time to, to, to go on. Prayer clarifies your direction. Prayer Direct, out of prayer, direction is established. 
out of prayer, mission is underscored. That is why I have come, of my purpose here. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. And that is why he said, I was there for. He refocused back to his original mission. And I find that as a pastor, sometimes we can get confused because of demanding needs of so many things that we can get confused. We lost a bit of the focus of what we are supposed to be doing as a church or as an individual, as a Christians. We get distracted. Just like you go shopping, you're there to buy something. One day my wife said she wants to go and buy eggs. She came back with 10 things but no eggs. Um, you just get distracted because you walk in, ah, oh, this is on sales. This veggie is on sale, there is on sale. And it came out with them, where is eggs? No eggs. We kind of get distracted through, through surrounding needs that we have. And we start to meeting all these felt needs. We have forgotten that the people real needs is that they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need the gospel. That they need to come to God in repentance of their sins. And not just satisfying and meeting the immediate felt needs that is so dominant at that time. So prayer, through prayer, direction is established. Through prayer, mission is underscored in this, in this event of Jesus' lives. And he's able to say, let's go elsewhere. Let's move on now. It's enough here. Let's move on. Let's move on. Jesus' ministry would not be defined by Capernaum, but elsewhere as well. T.S. Eliot say, Where shall the world be found? Where will the word resound? Not here, because there is not enough silence. Our lack of stillness is all-encompassing, upsetting our vision, mind, and spirit. And in the words of A.W. Tozer, he said, Man has accepted the monstrous heresy that noise, size, and activity, and bluster make a man dear to God. What does silence create? What does prayer in your own way? It makes room for listening. It gives us freedom to observe. It allows time to think. It provides space in which to feel. It lets us broaden our awareness. It opens us to the entry of peace. It invites us to know our limitations and God's vastness. That is not you. Someone said, it, it is more important to know where you are going than to get there quickly. Do not mistake activity for achievement. So, to, so out of prayer, and there's another passage that I don't, maybe I, no, I didn't put it up here, is in, in Matthew, or Luke chapter 6. Jesus, before choosing the 12, Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says that one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose the twelve. So just through prayer. And then he was able to knuckle down to the twelve disciples. And out of the twelve, he zoomed in to three, isn't it? Peter, James, John. And out of the three, he zoomed in to Peter, who will become the chief apostle. So out of prayer, Direction is established, and out of prayer, mission is underscored. That is what I came for. And Jesus' ministry would not be confined just by His healing. 
prayer was as time of centering, clarifying. And prayer was the thing that clarified our direction as well. Someone said, I asked God for strength that I might achieve, but I was made weak that I may learn humbly to obey. I asked God for health that I may do greater things, but I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked God for riches that I may be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked God for power that I might have the praise of man. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life, but I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I hoped for, I am among all men most richly blessed. Mother Teresa, in the aftermath of his, her death in 1997, and our attention was focused on many of the details of her remarkable life. As, and as we heard story after story about her sacrificial service to the poor in, and the dying in Calcutta, to some of the most pitiful creatures on earth, we wondered how did she do it, isn't it? Year in, year out, week in, week out. I know how emotionally draining it can be. Pastoral ministry to me is not physical, it's emotional and mental. And most of our time is emotional, mental, that in our lives it breaks down. It's not a physical work that people struggle for, it's not. Physically people can endure, but it's the emotional health and the mental health. But how did she do it? If most, if most any of us are ever forced to look upon such misery, we want to run away from it. She looked upon misery and move in rather than move away. If we have to do without any of those luxuries which we have to consider basic necessities, we feel woefully deprived, like our church camp. She willingly gave up virtually everything material in order to provide for others. And the question is, how did we do it? You know how? All the books are written is because of prayer. As a young nun in Albania, Mother Teresa devoted her life to prayer. What prayer did was to cleanse her life of all that destruction, all that would keep her from pursuing with single-minded devotion to the ministry in which she knew God was calling her. And then it filled her life with the most incredible transcendent power that able to sustain her until all her life to 80s. And what the world saw was this frail little woman with, with an apparently inexhaustible and inexplicable capacity to love. She loved day in and day out, year after year, and through her love, made an enormous difference in the world. What the world, for the most part, didn't see was this tiny, fragile woman was on her knees in the early morning, at midday, and in the evening, at night, going to God in prayer, opening her life to God again and again, inviting God to come and dwell with her, to sustain her. Another uh, book that I read about her talked about why is it that she mix so much with this poor, with, with tuberculosis, with all this illness, and yet she never contracted of any of this illness. And uh, the book concludes by saying because she has this power of love, that love somehow produces this kind of, I don't know, you know, some kind of this kind of immune system within you because of her capacity to love. And prayer is the way to Clarify your direction from God. Lastly, 
Time is running out. I want to give to you. Prayer helps to accomplish God's work. And the most amazing passage that I want to bring to you that creates so much puzzling, I hope I can unpack it for you and you're going to see that why prayer is so important in accomplishing what God wants to do here on earth. Look at John chapter 14. It's a very puzzling verse that has puzzled me many, many times that I read through this passage. This is what Jesus says in John 14. He said, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Believe me, I say this to you. Even if you really don't believe what I say, but at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves, the works that I do authenticate my message. And so miracles in the New Testament is always a sign to point to God and not an end in itself. At least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. You don't believe what I say. And then he says this to his disciples, I tell you the truth. Not just the disciple, it's applicable to us, because he said here, anyone. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. So the question is, we, you and I, we can be too doing what Jesus has been doing. But the question is, what Jesus has been doing? He performed miracles, do all these things. So what is this work that he has entrusted to us? I think the key is in verse 11 and 11, isn't it? Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So Jesus is trying to tell us, we can do this work of making people believe in me. Oh, sorry, let me rephrase this way. Not, not that we can make people believe, only the Holy Spirit can do this. Uh, we can do the work that can contribute people to knowing Jesus. So the work, the work that we have is in working out. Because whoever believes, he said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that lead people to believe in me. And so the works that we have is helping people, leading people to believe in Jesus. So every one of us can do it. He said, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing, leading people to know God. But the most astounding word is this. He will do even greater things than this because I'm going to the Father. And so the passing question is, what is this greater things that we can do more than Jesus? What is this greater things that we can do if we focus on, focus on doing greater things than Jesus, if we focus on the things that the work that we just, that is not what I've established, leading people to know Jesus, if we say that the work that Jesus do is miracles, who can outdo Jesus? Jesus turned water into wine, walk on water, feed the 5,000 people, even raise Lazarus from the dead. Who can do greater things than Jesus? So the greater things must mean other things other than the works, isn't it? And so the key is the next one that tells us he will do even greater things than this because I am going to the Father. And what did Jesus do while going to the Father? He go to the cross, right? He died on the cross. He sacrificed his life. He gave his life so that through Jesus now uh, we can find forgiveness. And then there's and then there's another verse that connects it 
I'll explain to you the greater things, and then I'll tie it together with prayer, and then we'll close. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Towards the end, now after Jesus died, resurrected, uh, heaven ascended yet, appeared to the disciples before his ascension, Jesus says this to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So the greater works that what Jesus, my suggestion is that my own study leads me to the conclusion, what's this new and greater things that Jesus wants us to do? Because you must understand, salvation up to that point of time, Jesus, that is before Jesus went to the cross. Before Jesus went to the cross, salvation has always been more anticipation. Never before the history of the world had anyone ever been forgiven by faith in the already crucified, already risen, already reigning, already indwelling Christ. And up to that point, Jesus hasn't died yet. And after Jesus went to the cross, Jesus is telling us, now you can do greater things. For the first time, for the first time, you can lead people to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. But prior to that, not yet. It's always the anticipation of what Jesus is going to do. But now, Jesus is saying, you'll do greater things for the first time that I am going to the Father. While I'm going to the Father, I died on the cross, and then forgiveness of sins will be given to all men. And you are doing good, greater work because you can preach now this gospel that before that, you can never be done. Because salvation up until that time, it, it was by anticipation by promise of the coming Redeemer. But now that Jesus has gone to the Father, now that He has been crucified, He has been buried, He has been raised, He has been exalted, He has sent in the person of the Holy Spirit that we just read in John 20, the great purchase of forgiveness by substitution was finished once and for all, and He can entrust it down to us to proclaim this beautiful gospel that is done, that is finished. Jesus died on the cross, the complete gospel now that you have. So I think Jesus would have said this, even when I have forgiven sinners during my earthly life, I have forgiven them in anticipation of that. But you will forgive them in my name on the finished work of me on the cross. The Spirit in you will be the Spirit of the crucified and risen Christ. The message you preach will be the message of not of a promised ransom, but a paid ransom, a complete payment. Or in theological word, it's called a finished propitiation, that you satisfy the wrath of God. And this is the greater work that is entrusted to us. And how is this carried out? Through prayer. Through prayer. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. It is under God. We can pray. So the fourth four point, you get lost through my exposition of that and explaining in detail. You get lost. But my fourth point is basically to say that our prayer helps to accomplish God's work, this greater work, this leading people to the Lord, the gospel, and all that is through undergird through prayer alone. That this greater work that we do can be done. Through prayer, we can participate with Christ around the world. So those are the four reasons I want to stir your hearts to give you a reason that you want to pray. 
I am in my first, second service. We have a prayer meeting at 10 o'clock before service at somebody's place. I am praying for 20 people that will be regularly coming to prayer meeting before service to pray. And I think we can do likewise. I think Wednesday probably around 15. Maybe we can push 30. You already 15. Maybe 30. Double it. Uh, we are praying that more people will come for prayer because prayer is essential. Uh, don't just say that prayer is important. Uh, you have to believe it. Not just believe it, but have great conviction. I once read a quote uh, by the French author he say, about death. He said, everybody knows that they are dying, but no one believes in it. If they do, they will live differently. If they do, they will live differently. And unfortunately, death comes a bit, is the greatest teacher, but it comes a little bit too late uh, to, teach us, to teach us how to live. So I want to challenge you, stirs your heart with these four reasons, builds relationship, helps you overcome temptation, helps you to clarify your will, God's will in your life, and also prayer actually, actually is the work. Prayer is the work. Prayer is not a passive activity. Prayer is the most important activity. It's not a passive, you pray, close your eyes, you think it's better off rolling up your sleeve to work. Yes, we, we should. But prayer is the real activity. It's not just a passive kind of uh, intellectual exercise that we go through. Prayer is actually, I, I've got no time to explore again uh, Ephesians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 about warfare, that prayer is so essential, or Daniel chapter 9, uh, all these passages that tell us prayer is warfare. It's a spiritual weapon that we need to confront spiritual uh, battle that we face. Let me close with this. I found a Bible in our, in our office. Uh, always people leaving things behind, and uh, it was left in the office. Somebody left it outside and brought it in. And then I was just turning open the Bible to find out whose Bible is this so that I can return to the person. And I found that it's your wife's Bible. I think she must have taken back already. You know. uh, um, and I realized as I opened up, I saw the name, but there are so many quotes that's written all over the Bible. Uh, and I saw one quote that I really like. And so I copied it down. I didn't copy it down. I just now you can just take a photo of it. You know. um, and the quote is by Richard Halverson. She's not here. Where is she? <laughs> Philippines. Uh, and th this is the quote that is written in her Bible. It says this, The strongest men in the world are those who are weak before God. Yes? The strongest person. Well, maybe take out the word man. Maybe gender sensitive now. Uh, the strongest person in the world are those who are weak before God. Because you depend on the Lord, not on your own strength. The greatest men are those who are humble before the Lord. And the last one, as I close with it, the tallest man in the world are those who bend before the Lord. The tallest person in the world. So I can say now to Pastor Bruce, I can beat you now. <laughs> Unless he also join me in bending down my knees. He will be taller than me. But the tallest men are those who bend before the Lord and kneel before Him in prayer. So may you uh, make prayer your priorities in your life that can help real amazing things will begin to happen in your life when you begin to pray. Father, we thank you for 
prayer. We thank you that you have given us the most amazing, amazing privileges that we have. We thank you. Thank you for prayer. Help us to pray, Lord. Our flesh are weak. Our flesh are so weak that oftentimes our spirit is so willing, but our flesh is so weak. Help us, Lord, to pray. Help us. Give us strength. Give us strength. Because we are strongest when we are weak before you. We are the greatest when we know how to humble ourselves before you. We are the tallest when we learn to bend before you on our knees and intercede. That's the most important activity in all of our Christian life. Gives us motivation, gives us joy, privilege, this awesome task of praying. Thank you, Lord. As we close with this beautiful uh, hymn, may you remind us, stir our hearts once again. Amen.